Thank you for the freedom that we can turn our radio and TV on and we can have over the airwaves messages that are preached, prayers that are being prayed, declarations that are being made. I thank you that that freedom exists in our nation today. And as long as that freedom is there, Father, we will take full advantage. I thank you that there is not even a single thought as we walk into this place to worship, not even a single thought of any negative ramification concerning that. We do not take for granted that the day may come when we don't have that, but today we thank you for it. I thank you again, Father, for your word. I thank you that it has been a word that has been preserved down through time. It is inerrant. It is inspired. It is profitable for teaching, correction, rebuke. Thank you, Father, that you have made it a living word, and as we spend time in it, it transforms and changes us, and we expect that today. Father, before we begin, I ask for a fresh anointing. Would you literally take possession of my mind, my mouth, every part of me? I surrender myself to be your instrument. Flow through me today. And with the authority that you've given in the name of Jesus, I bind up every interfering and demonic bird. I command you to release every person and be outside the walls of this building in Jesus' name. I declare that this is an environment of fertile soil. And I thank you for the power in your word that when it goes forth, it does not return void, but it accomplishes. The purpose for which it is sent, it accomplishes it. And I thank you, Father, that you have already gone ahead and prepared for what you are going to do today. And so we give you all the praise for what's going to happen in our lives. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. How many of you know what is uh, happening in four days, February 14th? What's going on? Valentine's. How many of you have already made plans? You've already done the preparation. You've already, how many of you are already fully prepared? Just look around, would you? All two of you, three of you. That's amazing. So let's close in prayer. I'm going to give you extra time to go out and do what you need to do so that you can't say church was too long on the 14th ago. Man, pastor was too long. I couldn't get your card that day. If we close it right now, you can do that, but we're not going to do that. I want to I share with you, and uh, I'm going to begin it this Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, I'm going to finish it off. The Sunday after, I want to let you know, the Sunday after uh, is going to be a day that we as a church are going to spend soaking. Uh, two Sundays ago, when I shared with you about the whole understanding of prayer and how we pray, that afternoon, the leadership team got together. Uh, we spent from about 2.30 in the afternoon till 8 o'clock that evening, uh, just in the presence of God, listening and sharing what God laid upon our heart. It was a, a beautiful afternoon. And uh, you might think that five and a half, six hours is a long time, can I tell you? When you get into waiting on the Lord, listening and sharing, uh, it disappeared like that. And uh, it was powerful. So in two weeks, yes, not next week, the week after. And I'll remind you again uh, next week. But we are going to be, the second half of the service is going to be a time of simply listening, prayer, and a time of sharing what God lays upon our heart for this church going into 219. I want to just say it, I'll remind you again, um, before we went into our listening time, uh, there was a number of leadership who felt led to fast, uh, to come off food and just pray, God, would you make us more sensitive to hear what you're saying? And I want you to begin praying about that. I want you to begin asking the Lord as we enter into that time of listening for the church, of just saying, Father, do you want me to enter into a fast? It might just be Sunday morning. It might be Saturday and Sunday. It might be for a week before. I have no idea. I can't lay it down. This is not law. This is grace. The Holy Spirit will lay upon your heart. But I want you to just ask the Lord and say, Father, do you want me to prepare 
so that I can be more spiritually attuned on that day when we listen for this church. And whatever God gives you, let me tell you, he will give you the grace to do it. I have tried fasting without the grace, and I make it about one meal, and that's it. I have fasted with the grace, and it doesn't matter how long God gives you, his grace is sufficient. So I just want to encourage you to be praying about that. In two weeks, that will be what we'll be doing the second half. I need to share with you, and uh, it just happens, I know as the Lord and I were talking about this, it happens that Valentine's Day is in the middle uh, of this sermon and the next sermon, which we're going to be talking about the whole aspect of love. But I want to share one thing before. I don't know how many of you are, were like Jane and I, but we kind of grew up, and I, I'll use the term poverty mentality. Um, we never used that term before. The term we used to use was, we're being good stewards. The term was before, we're looking for the sale. The term before was, we want to get everything it is at the cheapest price. So I, I want to give you an example. I don't know how many of you were like this. Um, when we got married, we bought a new bed, and uh, it was a brass bed. It was in at that time. Brass didn't last very long, but got a new bed, got a new mattress, did the whole deal. We were looking around. We, we got it on sale. We had to change the mattress a number of times over the years, and our mentality was when we went mattress shopping, we want to go, man, we want to find the best price mattress. And so when we found one for $399, we thought, that's awesome. You know, we're getting a good deal. Now, the mentality not, was not, I wonder if we're getting a good mattress. The mentality was we were looking for a good deal. So I don't know how many $399 mattresses we bought, and, I mean, over a period of time, you wake up, and it's like, you know... The back is a little sore, you know? And I'm not sure about you, but, I mean, my lightning-swift mind took a number of years to connect the fact that it might be the cheap-sucking mattress that was giving us the sore back in the morning. But didn't think about that. All I thought about was, we got an awesome deal on a mattress a year ago, and now we got to go replace it again. But somewhere down the line, we got to a point where it's like, and I don't know how this revelation came. I wish it would have come sooner in our marriage, but the revelation came that we are spending about one-third of our life on this $399 mattress. And not only one-third of our life on this mattress, but what we experience on that one-third of our life actually affects the other two-thirds of our life, don't you know? So when you wake up with a sore back, or you wake up with a sore neck, or you wake up and it feels like you haven't slept all night, and you don't make the connection, but all of a sudden you make a connection and go, you know, maybe it's time that we need to invest more than 399 because it's affecting our life. Now, I'll tell you honestly, I wish we'd have done it sooner. But I don't know how many years ago it is now, probably eight years, maybe 10 years ago. I wish it had been sooner. We've been married 34 years this year. But I was driving down the road, and I don't listen much to the radio anymore, but at that point I was listening to, um, listening to Shine. And on Shine FM came an advertisement for a mattress company in Edmonton. And I'll tell you the name of the company because I don't know if they're there anymore, Intellibed. But I listened to the advertisement, and, I mean, they were talking about the bed, talking about the gel foam, talking about the whole deal. They didn't give any price, and after we got to the store, I understand why they didn't put any prices on the radio because if they would have put on the radio, no one would have went to the store. You know what I'm saying? Can, can I ask you, can, can any of you tell me the most expensive mattress you've ever seen? Just tell me. Anybody? How much? 1600 Anybody else? 
4,000. Anybody else? Anybody seen a more than a $4,000 mattress? No? <laughs> Davey, this message might just be for you. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Maybe you will. So anyway, well, I mean, I, I heard about this, and I mean, they were talking about the advertisements. People were sharing, I mean, these amazing stories, right? I mean, that's what advertisements do. And I said to Jane, I said, you know what? And I mean, we were experiencing some issues on our $399 mattress. So I said, you know what? Why don't we just go and check out this store? We, we hadn't, I mean, I won't tell you the names where we bought the $399 mattress. I mean, that's where most of us go to buy our $399 mattress, right? But I said, why don't we go check out, I mean, I heard this on, why don't we go have a look? So we did. One day we're in the city, and we went over. It was on the south side. We, we found the address. We went in there, walked inside. I mean, it was a mattress store, and I'm telling you, there was, what was the highest price mattress in that store? Can I remember? Yeah, it was about the nine grand mark. Nine grand. Now, you've got to understand, there's something happening inside of your head when you're comparing your 399 to nine grand, Right? There's part of your flesh that goes, let's just go back over to Sears or to Value Village and find something that's only been used a little bit and, and we can get by for another 20 years, right? But something shifts inside of you that goes, you know, I think we're worth more than that. One third of our life is an investment that if it makes a difference is going to affect everything else. So we walked into this store. I'm telling you, it was like stepping from Earth into Mars. We walked in. We began looking. I mean, they got three thousand. They got four thousand, five thousand. All the, David, nine thousand dollar mattresses. You're welcome. What do you do when you walk into a store that's got mattresses that expensive? <laughs> Other than that, you think about remortgaging your home. That's what you think about, right? It's like how in the world. But I got to tell you, we were in a place of transition going one third. It's affecting our sleep. It's affecting our day, the whole deal. So we went in. Now, I got to tell you that not all of that stuff left because we were talking about it yesterday with um, that men's group. We were talking about favor of God in our life. And I shared a favor story when Jane and I were gone, how God blessed us. It was, it was awesome. But how many of you know Jesse Duplantis, right? He makes a statement. He goes, I got a Jewish dad. I pay retail for nothing, right? That's his mentality. He just believes that because of his heavenly father, doesn't matter what he's doing, whether it's land, whether it's jets, whether it's, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. He just believes that his heavenly father is going to bless him and he's not going to have to pay what every other person out there does. Sons pay less than servants, don't you know? So he just believes that. So we... We're looking above our 399 mark, but we walked in and we were believing, God, this is way out of our range, but we believe and we need to step into something better. But God, we're believing for something less than retail. Honestly, we're believing that. So as we went in, we laid down on the mattress and we thought, but I got it. Can I just tell you, when you walk into a mattress store and you lay down for 30 seconds, how accurate of a description? I think they should invite you in and say, spend the night. That's what they should do, Right. We'll be here back in the morning, 7 o'clock. You can tell us how your night's sleep was, and that might be a better. Three minutes doesn't do it, but most people make a three-minute decision. Can I tell you, a 399 mattress feels good for two minutes. But that's what you do. 
So we walked into the store. We began looking at the mattresses, and they were, began telling us they were going, this one is this, this one is this. They were going, this one here is our most popular uh, sales one. These, this is one, probably nine out of ten. We sell this one here. How much is that one? That's only six grand. That's awesome. Uh, what else do you have? They began showing us. We tried it. We laid on that six grand mattress. It's like going, it's like going to an art museum and touching a Rembrandt. Hey, have you ever done that? When we were in St. Petersburg, Russia, we went to we went to the Hermitage. That's where they have the smiling lady. What's her name? Oh, that's Perry. That's Lulu. Yeah, the Mona Lisa. We we saw the Mona Lisa. Couldn't get close to it because there was a rope there. But you just reach your hand out, right? You just want to feel about the ten feet. But we've been places where we've touched paintings that are 120,000. We touched one one that was one time it was worth 32 million dollars. You just got to touch it. You just got to touch it. So that's what we did with this mattress. We laid on this mattress, $6,000 mattress. We went, we might not buy it, but let's just lay on it, sweetheart. So we laid on it. Actually, we didn't like it. We're going, that mattress is too soft. Now, both of us, I got to tell you, you've done this. Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't laugh at me. You've done this. The $399 mattress, after a short period of time, it begins sagging a bit. So what do you do to prop it up? Because you don't want to buy another one? You put plywood underneath, Okay. <laughs> How many of you have ever stuck a piece of plywood in it? Don't put your hand up. Don't put your hand up. I don't want to see it. We've done that. We put a piece of plywood under our 399 mattress because we want it firm, right? So we tried this one mattress. It wasn't very firm. It's like, no, we need something a little firmer. Okay, here's where God comes in. He goes, you know what? He goes, we've got one mattress left, the firmer model. We hardly sell any of them because people like the soft one, but we have one firmer one left. Would you like to try it? We went, absolutely, we'll go try it. So we went and laid in this thing, absolutely firmer than what this other 6,000 one was. So we looked and we said, this, is, this feels good. I mean, our three minutes was a really good indicator, right? So we looked at each other and said, this, this, is, this is feeling. So I, I asked the question, are you ready for this? How much is it? Five grand. Five grand. Does that seem like a lot of money? For one-third of your life? Five grand. And then here's the favor. They went, because this is the last one, and because we aren't bringing it in anymore, because people don't like this firm, we're actually letting it go for $1,500. Start the car! (laughs) Shut the front door! Yeah! We won't talk about my pillow. We won't talk about that today. That'll be another sermon. Thank you, David. I actually get a pile of sermon topics just by being around David. It's really kind of fun. It's really $1,500. So I got to tell you, I mean, we're talking again from $399 even to $1,500. That's, that's like a four and a half times jump. You got to recognize we had never spent that kind of money on a mattress. We looked at each other. God had already prepared us, and we said, we'll do it. Then they said, that's great, but you just need to know you can't bring it back. Now, here's what the store did before. When you bought, and they should have, when you bought a six, seven, eight thousand $8,000 mattress, they said, you can take it for 30 days. If you don't like it, you can bring it back again. They said, we only have about 2% of people bring back the mattress after 30 days. That is how satisfied they are. When they give you that kind of 30-day 30, 30 guarantee, you're, you, you know they're selling quality, right? 
we picked up that $1,500 mattress. We came home, put it in our bed, pulled the $399 mattress off, took the plywood out, stuck it back in the garage again, and used it for what plywood should be used for, put our mattress on top of the bed, went to bed that night, woke up in the morning without waking up six or seven times at night, having to readjust, and went, wow, there's, there's no pain there. Can I tell you, we're still using that mattress. Our 399 one, we replaced, I don't know how many times, our $5,000 mattress that God got us for $1,500. We've still got it. It's seven, eight years old. That sucker is still as firm as the day we bought it. Can I tell you, we bought quality, and we're still experiencing the benefit from it. I tell you that story to say this. I wish someone would have told me at the beginning of my married life that the quality of a mattress will change so many aspects of your life. I wish they would have said, it is something that you need to think about. It is something you need to invest in. It is something, it is worth the money because of all the other impact it's going to have on your life. I wish someone at the beginning of my journey would have said to me, call, if there's anything you need to invest in in the kingdom, you need to learn about love. I want to ask you a tough question. How many of you who've been married for how many years would like to go, boy, I wish I would have known when I first got married what we had to learn over this hard period of life and all these trials. I wish we'd have known then what we knew now. How many people I've talked to who said, oh my goodness, if I knew back then what I knew today, I wouldn't be divorced today. I wouldn't have had the trail of disaster. I wouldn't have a zero out of 10 marriage. How how come it is that someone doesn't tell us at the beginning, you need to invest in your mattress because it's going to affect your life. How come they don't tell us, if there's one thing you need to get a handle on at the beginning of this journey, you need to understand what love is. I want to tell you really bluntly. It wasn't until years in my Christian walk and already in the ministry before God began to deal and break through the issues and have me begin to understand what love was about. It's almost embarrassing to say. I have sat with people who've been married 60 years, and they still don't understand, and I ask their spouse and say, have you felt deeply loved in this relationship? And they go, no, we're just putting it through till Jesus comes. How many children do you ask and go, were you raised in a home where all you felt was being deeply loved the entire time, and they're going, No, let me tell you what love was defined as in our home, and then they begin to tell you all of the unhealth. I wish someone would have told me. I wish someone would have taught me. I wish someone would have said, what's more important than a mattress in your marriage is that you learn how to love because that love is going to affect every aspect of your life, your marriage, your raising your children, your ministry. Love is going to be the foundation of all of it. I'll tell you what you already know. This Thursday, February 14th, is going to come up, and the vast majority of people are going to demonstrate their love one day out of the year going, hmm, I'm going to get a card. Hmm, I might get some flowers. Hmm, I might get some chocolate. Hmm, I might take them out for dinner. That will be their expression of love. And then it's like waiting until February 14th of next year as compared to going, no, 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 no. This isn't about a one-day deal. 
Now, I've got I to tell you a bit of how the Lord works with me, and I, I just want you to, to get it. That verse up on the screen, I don't know how long ago it was when I read that verse, and I've got to tell you like you do sometimes, you're reading through Scripture, and all of a sudden you get to one, and it just stops. When I was reading through it, and it says, now you've been purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Then it says, love one another deeply. I'll tell you, when, when I was reading through that, I got stopped in that place. I got arrested by the Spirit, and the Spirit of God said to me, call. I want you to learn how to love Jane deeply. I want you to learn how to love your family deeply. I want you to learn how to love the church deeply. And I want your church to be a place where when people walk in, they go, holy smoke, this is the place where people know how to love each other deeply. I got stuck on the word deeply. The difference is you can love someone at the surface level. It's going, there are levels to love. And Paul is saying, under the, or Peter is saying under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he goes, I want you to come to a place where your love for one another is at this low level, deep, deep love. Now, I'll tell you, I looked it up in the Greek. It's interesting, and we're going to get to it next week probably. That first line where it says, obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, that sincere love for one another is phileo or friendship love, right? We'll talk about that. And then it says, love one another deeply. That love one another is the agape love. He uses two different words for love. He's going, you've learned to love at this level. He goes, I want you to move to this level. I got stuck there. I don't think I read anything else that day. I went into prayer. The Lord began speaking to me. I got to tell you what you already know. <laughs> Some of you, I can't, it was amazing to me how many of you came up to me after and said, Carl, I've always thought you were a hugger. No, I had to become a hugger. I got to tell you, I was not a natural person who knew how to love. My upbringing I was loved, but part of my broken upbringing caused me to become a very selfish person, a very controlling person, a person who was more in it for me than me being in it for other people. Love did not come natural. And so when the Lord said to me, Call, I want you to move to a deep level, not just love, a deep level, I got arrested on all kinds of levels, guys. And God and I began a journey that I, I got to tell you, I've been looking forward to today and next Sunday. I've been looking forward to a long time. Now, I just want to make this really clear. How many of you have ever seen the movie Frozen? How many of you have seen Frozen? Just raise your hand high. Frozen. Yeah, awesome movie, right? If you haven't seen it, I encourage you, that your homework this afternoon is to watch Frozen. It's very theological. But on Frozen, one of the lines they make in there, they talk about the love experts. Who are the love experts on Frozen? The troll people, the rock people. And it just hit me. It's like, it's like God was saying to me, he goes, call. He goes, those in my family, those who know me, they are to be the love experts in this world. I said, God, do you want us to become trolls? He goes, no, 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 not trolls. 
but I want you to come to a place of understanding love, experiencing love, so that in this world that is starving for it, that has totally redefined it, that has turned it into something absolutely like chocolate, he goes, I've called you to be a love expert. Now, I want you to think about this. You and I take it for granted. We believe that in the beginning, God created. Do you agree? If you don't agree with that, don't raise your hand, because I believe that. In the beginning, God created. Can I just ask you one thing? If God is love, out of all the things that he described himself as being, he goes, if there's one description I'm giving, God is love. If God created and he is love, can I ask you, do you think that everything he created was birthed through love for the purpose of love? You and I were supposed to be sleeping on a great mattress from the time we were born. You and I were supposed to be at a place where we were experiencing love of the deep kind from the God who is love from the time we were born. Now, let me tell you straight up, if I'm the enemy, and there is one, I will never forget the day we were only here probably four or five years. Somebody phones up. And they just moved to town. They were looking for churches. One of the first questions they said is they picked up the phone. I said, hello. They said, hi, I'm so-and-so. We just moved to town. We're looking at churches. Can I ask you a question? I said, sure, ask me anything. They go, do you believe in the devil? I said, no. I says, I believe there is one, but I don't believe in him. They said, that's all I needed to know. They said, I phoned four or five churches in town. I've asked that same question. You're the first person who said, yeah, I believe that the satanic realm is real. They showed up at our church the next year. I mean, the next Sunday. They showed up the next Sunday. They were in our church for like nine years, 10 years, 11 years before God moved them on somewhere else. That single question, they wanted to know if we believe there's an enemy. Can I tell you? I believe there's an enemy. So do you. If the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and you and I were created to live in love relationship with a father, in relationship with other people, if you and I were created for that, and apart from that, there's emptiness, there's, there's hollow. If you and I were created, my role as the enemy is to make sure what? You don't experience it. It's perverted inside of you. Now, I want to tell you what some of you already know. A number of years ago, we did a, we did a, a study on a book called How We Love. We got together every, every week after we listened to the presentation from the Yurkoviches. We went in. We had small groups. There was about six or seven groups that broke out. We had discussion after that. In that book, what they talked about is when we were growing up, how did we experience what was called love inside of our home and the impact that had on our life, on our relationships, on our raising children, the impact of how we were loved. What we discovered is what most of us experienced is really not in the definition of love. We believed it was love. We were told it was love, but it wasn't love. I want to tell you one of the most remarkable things that came out of that book for me. One of the very first things they did in their counseling when they sat with people, they said, I would like you to think back in your upbringing when you had something traumatic or something that was devastating happened in your life as a child or whatever, they said, how were you comforted when that happened? Describe how you were comforted when that crisis happened. 
he made a statement on the video, and he said, over 70% of people, every seminar they do, over 70% of people, when they ask that question, whether in counseling or the seminar, over 70% say, I was not comforted. I thought, that's crazy. After we watched that, we broke into our small groups. We went in and had our discussion time. In the discussion time, many of you were a part of that. That was one of the things that came up where we had to describe when that incident happened, how we were comforted. I I was literally shocked to find out that 70% plus was real in the group of us who were gathered to watch that presentation. The enemy has done a darn good job to make sure that you and I did not experience and then to make sure that you and I have not been filled with and then to make sure that you and I, in relationship with others, are not giving what God says is the love that we are to have. There's a verse that I'm going to begin with next week. Paul says this. He says, now that you have learned from God how to love from one another... I just stopped there. I, stop, I said, now that you have learned from God, and I, I'm, I'm going to ask you next week, I'm going to ask you now, don't raise your hand, but if someone came to you and said, now that you have learned from God how to love one another, how many of you would just go, yep, that's me, I learned from God. Or how many of us would have to go, I've been in the church for years, I've been a believer for years, and if someone said to me, I've learned from God, how to, I'd go, I'm still struggling with that. My marriage is still struggling. I'm still struggling loving who I am. I'm still in the category that needs to learn how to love from God because I'm not there yet. I'll tell you, I think if I went anywhere and said to people, your experience of love, what you're living, the love for yourself, the love from God, the love from mother, if I were to ask you, are you at a place where you're going, this is awesome? I am full. This is great. I don't really need, if nothing else changed between now and heaven, I would be good. How many people would raise their hand and go, I've arrived? I don't know of many or any. I got to tell you that word deeply. In the Greek, the word they use is fervently, fervently. Can I just tell you that there are times where being married to me wouldn't be very fun? Because when I get hit with some things, the first person who gets hit after that is Jane. And I went to her and I said, Jane, I said, what we are to know and experience, what God is wanting for us in our life and in our marriage, God is wanting us to love each other deeply, fervently. I got some room to grow, Jane. We got some room to grow. You need to know that I'm beginning to ask God to do a work in my life and in our marriage to take us to a place of depth, a place of fervency that, that we haven't tasted yet. I, want to say, I, I believe God has so much more for us in our relationship than we've ever tasted. I, I believe that with all my heart. I've been pursuing that in prayer, in fasting, for over a year now. And I'm not letting up. 
Because this is where I've come to. If Jesus died for us to have this, why should I settle for less than that? It's like someone coming to me and say, Colin, I bought you a Cadillac. It's sitting there. And I go, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm good with that 68 junker that I'm driving. They go, I paid for it. I've already paid. It's waiting for you. Just go pick it up. And I go, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good with the rest. I'm good having to phone Sheldon. Hey, can you come boost my car? Like, I'm good with that. You'd look at me and go, how retarded are you, Call? And yet in the kingdom of God, that is what we have been seduced into. I want to tell you, as I've been praying about this, one of the things the Lord laid in my heart. He said, Colin, he says, I want your church, Solid Rock, to become known as a church where people, people in that church love one another deeply. I want that church to be known as that place. I said, okay, you're going to have to start changing things and I give you permission to start changing it in me. I want to end with one scripture because I want you, I just want you to see this biblically, biblically. Would you go with me to the most famous love chapter in all the Bible? What is it? 1 Corinthians 13, let's go there. I want to tell you I apologize for every one of you who have been to every wedding where the only scripture they've read is 1 Corinthians 13 and other than weddings you don't ever hear it. I apologize to you. Because I don't believe 1 Corinthians 13 is only to be a wedding scripture. I believe 1 Corinthians 13 is to be a wake-up call, a wake-up call from the Holy Spirit because listen what it says. Listen to this. If I speak in tongues of men and angels, is speaking in tongues important? Absolutely. I'll tell you, when we learn how to pray, intercessors, when we begin praying in tongues, we know that 100% of what we're praying is directly in accordance with the will of God. You ever have a question how to pray? Pray in tongues and you're bang on. The Spirit knows how to pray. Praying in tongues is absolutely essential in warfare, in life, in ministry. I'll never forget when Gloria Copeland made a statement that said when their son, John, went off into the world and did his thing, God called her to pray one hour a day in tongues. In three months, God broke through in his life. He came back again and started serving the Lord. She looks and goes, that one hour a day in tongues, the Spirit was praying through me. Three months. Can you imagine how many parents go, holy smoke, for me it's been 13 years I've been praying for my wayward child. Holy smokes, it's been hot. If God asks you to pray for one hour a day in tongues for your wayward child, do it. Do it. But listen to what it says. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not what? You know where I'm going with this, right? He goes, if I speak in tongues, if I give all my money away, if I give my body to be burned, if I have faith and I can move mountains, if I can pray over the dead and they come back to life, if I can preach an amazing sermon and people get changed, but I don't have love, what does it say? Nothing, empty, noisy gong, of no value. I don't even have to ask you 
but I have done it in my life where it's like, how many things have I done in God's name in the kingdom and love was not the foundation of it? <laughs> in God's ears, noisy gong. Counts for nothing. Empty. Why? Why? Because can I tell you why? The kingdom of God is all about love. In fact, let me give you one verse that is just so sobering. Faith worketh by love. We're going to talk about the seduction of moving off into faith and having love not be a part of it. He goes, faith works by love. Apart from love, the whole faith thing doesn't work. But I want to narrow it back to something incredibly selfish. Because God didn't save me to build his kingdom. God didn't save me to build a church. God didn't save me to win the world. God didn't save me for that reason. That's not why he saved me. Can I tell you why he saved me? When Jane and I first got married and we prayed about it and began having children, when Malachi was born, we didn't go, awesome, we have someone to cut our lawn now when, we, when he gets older. That thought did not cross our mind. Do you know why we wanted to have children? Do you know why? Having a child was birthed out of love between Jane and I, and then having a child, we wanted that child to be an object of our love poured into them. It didn't matter what Malachi did as a profession. When Zach was born, we didn't go, oh, not purpose. No. You know what? Our children were born to become objects of our love. They were birthed in love, and they were objects of Can I tell you why God saved me? I remember when he said to me, call. He said, don't ever lose sight of the fact that the number one reason why I saved you is for you to experience love from me. That's it. If that's all that happened before you died, I would have accomplished my goal. He didn't save me to serve him. He saved me for me to live in his love. Can I tell you why the enemy wants to make darn sure you and I don't experience his love? Because I'll tell you, someone who gets ignited by his love is dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Someone who does not get ignited by his love, the darkness goes, no problem. They haven't been changed. They haven't been touched. Yeah, let them be motivated by fear. Yeah, let them be motivated by guilt. Yeah, let them be motivated by shame. But if they ever get motivated by love, look out! that's why the Holy Spirit said to Peter before he died, Peter you tell them they've learned how to love each other at the brotherly level but you tell them that's not enough, you tell them God wants them to move to learn how to love deeply if I was the only recipient of learning God's love living in it that'd be awesome let's start selfish I need to experience it for me we're going to talk about that next week I need to experience it for me after that if I choose to be in a relationship with someone and I have I want my wife to experience a love from me that she would get from Jesus that's what I want husband love your wives the way Christ loved who 
his bride. And here's the crazy truth. Husbands, love your wives as you love your own self. Can I tell you? Every man does that. When a man loves himself this much, that's all he has to give his wife. When a man loves himself this much, that's all he gives his wife. When a man loves himself this much, that's what his wife gets. Husbands do love their wives the way they love themselves. And if it's little or nothing, that's all she gets. Isn't it crazy to think the greatest gift I can give to my wife is loving myself? That's the greatest gift. So we as men have to move from low self-esteem. We have to move from performance orientation. We have to move from shame-based identity. We have to move from our bad experience of, of having to earn our love. We've got to move to a point where we experience love for ourselves. So we go, sweetheart, I got something for you. I want to challenge and encourage you to do one thing between this Sunday and next Sunday. Some of you might know that the Bible is full of passages about love. I want to challenge you to get into the Word and begin having a look at what Scripture says about the whole area of love. I would like you to lay a foundation before we get into next week. I believe the enemy has robbed from us long enough in this area. And when the Lord said to me, call, I want my body of solid rock to come to a place where they have learned from me how to love one another deeply. When the Lord said that to me, I said, okay. I believe that is his will for this body. Can I tell you why, just really quickly? Tell me what happens if we actually learn to love ourselves and actually learn to love one another deeply. And here's, here's, I'll tell you straight up, the Bible says that we as believers in the body, we're to love each other actually at a higher level than we are to love people of the world. We're to treat each other actually better. The home and the marriage should be the highest place of honor and respect, not the lowest in the world. That should be the highest. The family should be the highest level of where honor is. Why, why has the family become, yet people treat waitresses better than they treat their own spouse and children. Why is that? I'll tell you why. It's perverted. The enemy has flipped that all around. I believe there should be no place on this earth that experiences love for one another the way the body of Christ experiences it. And when the Lord said, call, I want that solid rock, I went, do it. Let's do it. And I'll tell you why. If you and I get caught with a virus of learning how to love one another deeply, and we experience that in this context, can I ask, do you, do you think it will actually stay within these walls? Or do you think it might actually walk out the door with us and some of the people out there that are still starving and have never tasted the love of a father or the love of a family will all of a sudden begin experiencing and go, holy smoke, I want that. I need that. 
I want to end on one statement Jesus made. He said this, the world will know that you are mine. How? By the love you have for one another. That's how the world will know that you're mine. When I walk in to Rona, and I've done this for years, when I walk into Rona and I see Ken working in Rona, regardless of what he's doing, regardless of who he's in front of, regardless of the customer, regardless of his manager, when I walk into Rona up to Ken and he puts down what's there and Ken and I hug in the middle of that store and our faces are just beaming to see one another, you should see the faces of these other men. There's a side of them that goes, they are so weird, but there's another side that goes, I wish I had that. Do you know how lonely men are, even married men? When guys out there see brothers loving one another, I want that. I need that. bow with me in a word of prayer. Father, I get excited when you begin sharing your heart for me, for my marriage, for my family, for my church family. I get excited when you share your heart and go, this is what I want to do. God, because when you say it, I know that you are faithful to do it. I want to say thank you that you have prepared us as a body to move into a revelation and an experience of your love like maybe we have never before. Father, take us to that deep place. Do it first for me. Because after we get it individually, Father, we know the ripple effect that's going to happen. But Father, first for me. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would begin a preparation work in every heart, every mind in this place. I ask over this next week that you would cause your word to come alive, words of love. I I ask, Holy Spirit, that there would be revelation. I pray that even as we come back next Sunday that it's already all done. We just have to talk about what we experienced all week long. I pray that you would plant inside of us such a hunger to know your love and the love from one another that we would never be satisfied with cardboard again. We declare spiritually we will never lay on a 399 mattress again. want us to love deeply and to be loved deeply. We give you permission. I declare over you what you already know. That the Lord has blessed you and he's keeping you. 
the Lord has caused his face to shine on you and he has been gracious to you. The Lord has lifted up his countenance upon you and filled you with his peace and a hunger to know his love. I declare that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody in agreement said, Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome week. Again, just keep track of what's happening all week long. Weather-wise, make sure you phone, find out things are still happening. We don't want anybody to be on the road during those cold weathers and be stuck out at night. We can put everything off for a week if we need to. So just keep in touch.